This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk in the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And Ken, you mentioned the original and new cast in the intro, and we haven't discussed the quote-unquote new cast that recently. And the new cast really isn't that new anymore, is it? No, not really. I mean, you think about it, we celebrated um, a lot of anniversaries this year from Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek Three, Star Trek V, uh, Generations. And you know, I didn't even realize it, but it was the 10th anniversary for... The Kelvin Timeline movie, the first Star Trek, Star Trek 09, as it's better known as. These three movies, they each have villains. That is something that the Star Trek template has fallen into when it comes to the <laughs> film franchise. Right. They're all fueled by a similar motivation, uh, but they are very different characters when you really you know, examine where they come from and whatnot. Or are they? So we can talk about that. But uh, I thought it'd be fun to dive into the Kelvin Timeline universe villains so all three of them we have nero we have Co- uh, john harrison and we <laughs> and we have uh crawl uh who also has another name so uh two of them have secret identities but we can get into that so star trek 09 you start out nero he's a romulan mm-hmm. right romulans are something that we wanted to see in the movies for a long time we thought we were going to get that in Nemesis. We got some Romulans in it, but it was more about the Remans and a human clone. So once again, the Romulans got cut out of the movies. Uh, but we got the Romulans here, but he wasn't even a real Romulan. And as far as the Romulan Empire, he was like a miner and they were renegades and time travelers and that kind of thing. But Eric Bana as Nero, Ken, what are your thoughts then? And have they changed over the years? Uh, my original thought was I thought, Banna played a very good villain. You know, he um, he's one of those actors that, it, it, you know, he reminds me of, I don't know why, but Michael Bean, who um, was in the Terminator oh. movies, right? He, right? he was in the in the Hulk. He was in some other movies where he was kind of the star. And, you know, he just kind of went from, I thought, a potential A-lister to, um, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say a B actor, but, you know, brought in... A character actor. Character actor, or just brought in to do certain things. 
And so, you know, he, he hadn't done much that I remembered him from recently until this character. And I thought, you know, he's a he's a really good actor. I thought the way he played Nero was very, very well done. Uh, you know, the, just just the little snippets we saw his his expressions. Um, you know, he wasn't uh, it wasn't like he had a ton of lines in the movie. But when he did, they stood out, you know, uh, Hello, Christopher. I'm Nero. You know, just that kind right. of. <laughs> he just had a way about but him. He, you know, he didn't. He didn't inject some personality into a fairly two dimensional villain uh, on paper because I feel like Nero, as a villain, you know, he served the purpose of a greater story, which was to reintroduce us to these characters. But it really wasn't his story. You know, we didn't really see a lot from his perspective. What we did what we would have seen got cut out of the film and, and the deleted scenes. And I think those things would have been very helpful to flesh out his character, who was kind of a, you know, as, as we'll find uh, a lot of, a lot of con reboots, ripoffs, rehashes here, because I mean, you, know, you literally have him screaming Spock, <laughs> you know? So it makes you think of con cause he's after revenge, right? Because he blamed Spock for the destruction of his planet and the death of his wife and his, Family and his countrymen, right? So very similar to the Wrath of Khan motivation. So what what did you think about his his motivation? Was he just crazy or what? Well, you know, I thought that uh, like a lot of times when people don't have all the information and they they blame one person, right? And and I think that his thought process for Spock and the motivation didn't make much sense. Of course, you know that was probably the toughest part of the movie for me is mm-hmm. the second that that sun expanded you know, a matter of miles, the planet would have been fried. I mean, it didn't, you know, they show it like it actually hitting the planet and that's what they were racing against. I'm like, um, okay. So the science in it was weak. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but from that point, you know, his hatred towards Spock was one thing. His hatred of the Federation, though, uh, I completely understood. He felt like they let right. him down. And so, one by one, you know, he starts with the Vulcans who obviously have been, you know, they're each other's nemesis since since the beginning, since they're a shared race. And then, you know, his next stop was Earth. So everything to me kind of was like by the numbers. Um, he wasn't um, too bad, too, too far removed from Shinzon in that sense. And there was a little, some <laughs> some similarities, even though he wasn't a clone. Uh, in terms of what he was after, you know, because he felt he deserved something. Yeah, that's an interesting point because he is a a bald, you know, a from Romulan mm-hmm. villain mm-hmm. with a giant black spaceship. So I mean, Star Trek and I and Nemesis are are very are a lot more solar than a lot of people may think. Uh, although uh, that's a good point about the 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 logic, you know, coming from Romulan, right? But mm-hmm. uh, of I, I will, I mean, he lays it out for Pike. He's like, I will destroy every Federation planet. And so the Romulus is, lives in a galaxy free of the Federation. You're like, okay, I you have a plan. You know, good for you. You know, because I mean, yep. some villains they're after revenge, and you're like, okay, well, what is your ultimate goal? Like, other than revenge. And although that was like kind of like that was the revenge was a spark for him. Uh, and it's it, hey, it's a, it's a terrible evil plan. No one should do it, obviously. But it's like okay, I I understand. Like you said, by the numbers, right? He's like, well, I'm gonna get rid of. You know, you just go down the list of the founding members of the Federation, then expand whoever else. And then when they're not around, the Romans can kind of have the run of the place and fight the Klingons or whoever else. Uh, but the Federation will be out of the way. And plus, I, I believe the idea was, once he was done with that, 
they'll go back to Rhymeless and say, hey, look, there's a supernova coming, but it's cool. We can go live anywhere else because we've kind of cleared out the galaxy for us. So <laughs> I, you know, extrapolating what his plan was, that seems to have made sense. Although if I were him, I'd be like, I, I think it was important that his time travel was an accident. Mm-hmm. So because uh, because it's like if it was intentional, they're like, well, let's just go back in time now, like to, I don't know, a week before, you know, Romulus got destroyed and we'll save everybody and that kind of thing. But because it was just, you know, an accident and they really didn't have their bearings or anything, they just figured, well, we're going to stay in this time. We're going to do our thing here. And then eventually Romulus won't be destroyed. It won't be it, it, would, it won't be their Romulus, though, because they would have changed the timeline. But then you get all that whole time travel stuff. And I know for you, it, it's one timeline. So it's <laughs> I like to stick to the simple. I'm a simple guy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Different universes. All that stuff drive me absolutely crazy. I was going to say bat something crazy, but I won't do that. Uh, but <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I, I, that's why I said I thought the character himself was was fairly well flushed out. Uh, the interrogation scene with um, Pike, I thought, was very well done, talking about his wife, you know, arguing that it had happened, you know, all of that stuff. Well, Joe, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. I watched it happen. Yeah, yeah, you know, it has happened. So it's that's a, that's a great gift, by the way, or meme, or everyone use it for when people want to talk about, you know, canon and what gets erased and what's not. Just throw it out there. It's a lot of fun to diffuse a heated conversation about Star Trek canon. I found that in my experience online. So just a little little nugget of Star Trek fandom interaction for y'all. Oh, there you go. Uh, if you create that <laughs> meme, please send it along. But overall, <laughs> overall, I think Nero did his his job, quote unquote, as being yes. a good villain. Um, it 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 brought you know Kirk and Spock together in the end. Um, you know, taking him on, all of that stuff. And you know, I found I found him to be a tragic character uh, when he hmm. when he wound up dying. You know, I mean, I I don't know why I felt for him. He 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 annihilated the Vulcans. Um, but you know, I I just you know losing his wife, his family. It, 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 like I said, he wasn't in a lot, but he was very impactful and in more ways than one, I guess. But um, I I, I like Nero. Yeah, he had a believable intensity to him, mm-hmm. and you know, he did have his right hand man, uh, Ayal. So all these, you know, a lot of these guys have the right hand man. It's the classic villain uh, thing. They're not. They, they, he didn't get betrayed by him or anything at the end. Sometimes that's a trope. Like the guys, like I don't know, this guy's a little too far. He's a little too crazy. They didn't go that way with him. But you know, he, he had his his crew of guys, and he was doing. And he was just looking out for his people because they're the only ones who was left, basically. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you said it best. He quote unquote did his job, served his function in the greater story of Star Trek Nine, and, and I do wish, you know, not that I, I, I love it when they recut things, but I would have been interested to see the um, uh, the scene. Well, he was on Roar Penthe, right? So I, mean, I would have been interested right. in seeing that and, um, you know, how he escaped and all that other stuff. I will say there's a, there's a very bad Star Trek trope, you know, when it comes to getting out of prisons and all that other stuff. And it's that the bad guys always seem to leave the spaceship rather close by. <laughs> they just they jump in it and go <laughs> or they come up with a crazy way to to escape and 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 there they are and uh, i saw that re- on a recent deep space nine was like huh you know <laughs> yeah. oh is it uh the one where with garrick and Worf and everyone in the dominion camp yes yes and they and they just beam right up to the runabout because sure it's, it's of course it's right it's just, here it's sitting right here right <laughs> and and that's essentially what they did uh with uh nero ship you know they, they i right. guess they were studying it or, or whatever they were doing i know it was disabled but uh, yeah, to me, that's just kind of like, yeah, let's just put it in orbit around the prison planet. Not not a shipyard, but you know, okay, whatever. But it would have just been, I'm more curious about all of that. In the movie, though, none of that happens. Essentially, uh, the way they cut it is he was just waiting. He was just waiting 20 right. years for, 
um, Spock to come through while they repaired their ship from the damage from the Kelvin. So, I mean, and that yeah. that actually does make more sense. But it is it would be interesting just to see the character a little bit more. And you know, he was uh, he was one bad looking dude. And you know, there's in the couple of scenes that they show him, he's he's a big guy. Yeah. Got that missing year. He lost that in, in Ruripente mm. uh, as well. So you pay close eye. Keep close eye on it on his ears next time you watch the movie. You'll notice before the time jump to the future, or you know, the thirty years later, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, he has both ears fully intact, and then later on, one is missing. Why? You'll have to read Star Trek Nero, the IDW comic book tie-in to find out. But uh, to 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 that point, there is uh, the Star Trek, uh, the IDW Star Trek comic books. The uh, countdown is the whole backstory with Spock and Nero in the twenty fourth century with Picard and Jordine and Data and all those guys. And then there's also a specific comic called Star Trek Nero, which kind of dives into what Nero was up to in that time gap in the movie. He goes and finds V'ger because it's connected to the Borg, which is the technology on a ship. And, you know, you fall into all these all these Star Trek, you know, connect the dots game that you play. But they are they're actually more interesting. And I felt like they kind of fleshed it out. So so there is if you want to find out more about Nero. Those do exist outside of the, the source material. But as I always say, if you have to go find stuff out and research it in order to explain or make sense of your story, your story is weak because it should stand on its own. You shouldn't have to go look for those things. And I feel like in the Nero's case, I think that there is enough in the actual film where those aren't required to connect the dots. But they're nice uh, additional information should you so desire. Mm-hmm. So, And we'll see how it all kind of circles back with Picard, right? Because... You know, everything that happened in that movie happened in the prime timeline with the destruction of Romulus. So there's got to be some connectivity there. So it'll be interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on to Star Trek Into Darkness. Dun, dun, dun. What did you think of the new Khan, or as we were told leading up to the film, John Harrison, a.k.a. this is not Khan. No way it's going to be Khan, people. It's John Harrison. Completely original character, not Khan. Even though you all think it's Khan, it's not but it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Well, without comparing the two, which I think we've we've done that before yeah. on Standard Orbit back in the day a couple times, Converse Con or whatever, but I will say this. I thought that uh, uh, Cumberbatch played a great villain. He played a, a brilliant villain. It's just, how do you play something that iconic again uh, and and pull people into the story? He, he, he really couldn't. Um, but... I think, as we mentioned before, Zach, if he was just John Harrison, it would have been a 10 times better film. Just another crewman on the same Botany Bay uh, on his own because he was, I, I thought, brilliantly acted and, and a damn good villain. And you could really see his um, genetic capabilities. I mean, they they kind of went, you know, to that... Um, to the Star Wars sequel a little bit, right? So the the Jedi's go from having some pretty good talents and Jedi arts to, you know, being able to they're basically superheroes. Yeah. You know, they can yes. they can jump big distances and all that other stuff. And to the degree they they did that a lot with uh Khan or John Harrison where, you know, but it wasn't it, it wasn't that nuts, but it was it, it, the the fight with the Klingons. I thought was was really well filmed, and you're like, "Yep, this guy is is one bad dude." So I, I have to say that I thought like Cumberbatch played a great villain. Um, he just didn't play a very good con. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and I think part of the 
the, the reason I harped on them telling us it's not con, so like really, hey guys, not con, right? It's like you go into it and you think it's okay, it's probably still gonna be con, they're probably lying to us. And then you see it and you're like, oh, they were. Okay. <laughs> and then so yeah. like I <laughs> it's like, what was that for? Because they get you that one one initial viewing. And then after all that, it's like, okay, you're watching the whole movie. Yeah, it's it's con the whole the whole time. Just like just like we all thought. And I just don't understand the logic of them keeping it a secret because I feel like it, had we gone into it knowing it's con, we'd be like, okay, well, you know what? This is con. Let's see where they go with it. And this is let's let's tap into that fact that we're you know we're re uh, reusing Star Trek's most iconic villain, rebooting him. Uh, let's 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 ride that. Let's not try to keep it a secret. And then it's a twist. And then it's like, who cares? I remember in the theater when he's like, my name is Khan. It was like a combination of you know groans and no reaction at all because <laughs> people. It's like I don't know who that is. Or okay, it's like we said. So. Uh, again, have they kept them just, you know, not even just, just throw the botany bait. That's another option. As you said, we talked about if he was like, you know, uh, Joachim, right. If it was him, for example, and he was a- sure. either acting like he was con, right. Oh yeah, I'm con, you know, just to kind of throw people off or I don't know. Right. There's lots of possibilities, but, uh, or just have him be a, a Starfleet officer who's disillusioned with, with what they're doing, you know, section 31, right. That becomes a huge thing in Star Trek now. And, uh, it would have been a more intriguing story. Because I think I, I, I'm 100% with them up until the end, uh, the, basically the climax of the film, where I understand, like, like, they stun him, and then he kind of turns on them, but I felt like he would have turned on them anyway, and that's the kind of gamble Kirk made. He's like, I think, you know, I think we're helping him, <laughs> you know, when they're on the, the vengeance there. Um, and after that, he did become more of a two-dimensional, you know, mega maniacal villain because they went just kind of generic sci-fi villain with them or just action villain now you're right performance wise Cumberbatch was really great you see anger you see uh, sadness right he thought his family got killed so that's why he's coming after you know his basically his family his his fellow supermen and women and that's why he's coming after Marcus but Marcus is really more of a villain and in the darkness than Khan is right oh yeah yeah I would say that's fair um you know, a Star Trek bad admiral who who would have known, right? <laughs> but and and I, I, you know, it's it's funny how that that all kinds of seeps back into Star Trek. But uh, you know, he was Khan was manipulated. Uh, he was taken advantage of all along the way. And I I I did like the fact that you know he he blew up. Um, was it the Kelvin Library, right, or the Section Thirty One Underground? Mm-hmm. Um, he he killed Pike, which was you know just an incredibly emotional, powerful scene. I thought it was very cleverly done. He set up everything into motion, and then you know of course, um, you know the, the 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 sillier parts of the JJ verse sometimes, where you know like the transporter technology just goes into complete overdrive, and now you're you're beaming across a, a galaxy which would fundamentally change the way we would even view Star Trek, right? right? I mean, <laughs> it's just like, okay, so now he's, you know, he's, he's on the Klingon homeworld. But it was, again, he, he, played, he played it well, uh, the scene where they're going in between ships, all those, uh, the, you know, the action on board the Vengeance, I thought was, was wonderful. Uh, I, I do like uh, Cumberbatch, how can you not? Uh, he played a very intense character, and... Up until the point he was stunned, you were guessing, though, was he, you, you really don't know what he would have helped Kirk or not for sure. You know, you just, as I think that was an excellent point you made, because that's how a lot of us felt. Well, if they hadn't stunned him, what would have happened next? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he did, he, he, he did go, you know, berserk 
um, uh, when when all things laid equal. But you know the the plotting to to kill the Enterprise and how he walked it out step by step and all that other stuff. Let's discuss this logically, were... Mister Spock. Like that was yeah, a good. Yeah, back it was really forth. it was good. I. I mm-hmm. I liked it. The, the The fight scene, you know, went on a little long. The chasing through San Francisco, all of that stuff. I, um, I felt that the the destruction that the vengeance brought upon the city, which was like a hundred nine elevens, really, you know, it, it's like I, I just kind of felt like shouldn't there be more on that, you know, other than just chasing him? There's there's a lot of people that need help. <laughs> I don't know. It was just an odd thing to me, but. It was. I thought he played. He played it well, as well as he could. Um, you know, and I know the movie. You know, it isn't. It isn't ranked high among Star Trek fans. I. I really do enjoy the movie. I just have to shut my Star Trek lens off a little bit to watch it. Yeah, another another memeable moment. If we're going to find one for all these villains, is when Khan is like crushing Admiral Robocop's skull. He's Ooh. like, "You, you should have let me sleep." So I feel like that whenever people wake me up. You know, I'm taking a nap. It's a weekend, I'm trying to sleep in. Somebody calls me. You know, that's the meme. That's the feeling <laughs> that I want to use. It's like, damn, damn. you should have let me sleep. But that, uh, all jokes aside, that was a very intense moment as well. So. It was. I'm gonna recommend maybe some Ritalin for you or something <laughs> if you're that <laughs> intense about losing Just, sleep. So, be warned, folks. Don't wake me up on the weekends. That's all I ask. <laughs> <laughs> just leave me alone I'm, I, I'm glad i didn't knock on your door in las vegas brother <laughs> jeepers <laughs> so yeah it's uh it, it is tough and it's kind of unfair to Cumberbatch, right because it's like you're gonna play this iconic villain uh played by an iconic actor but we're gonna yep. tell everybody you're not and then we're gonna pull a fast one on him in the theater so good luck brother you know like uh, he's yeah he, he was put in an one. impossible situation uh, and again he's a great actor you know he's great as the sherlock holmes type he's great as doctors i really enjoy doctor strange actually in the marvel cinematic universe uh he's actually one of my favorite heroes over there i had no expectation for that movie uh but he really carried it and it's an interesting character and story over there so he's an interesting actor to watch very talented definitely brought his a game for this as i believe all these actors did for their villains so mm-hmm, they did absolutely Okay. All right. Well, let's finish uh, the third of the big three. Crawl, Captain Balthazar Edison. So, what are your what are your thoughts on again another twist of a villain? Uh, and I, I remember I said on this podcast, I think I, I might have said like, if they're gonna do another twist for this next villain, I'm gonna be mad. Uh, but I didn't mind this one because it wasn't predicated on like previous Star Trek knowledge or anything. I think it worked in the story. But what are your thoughts on this character, Ken, and the twist of his identity? Well, first of all, I thought the whole um, premise and the race that they created and the how was extremely clever. Um, I didn't see it coming. I really didn't. Uh, you know, there, there was nothing that, that led you back to the fact that it was from the Franklin or the Franklin's crew, even though we're on the Franklin ship. You know, it, it just seemed like an, an abandoned an abandoned ship. So they did a really good job, I thought, of uh, with makeup, um, with uh, ferocity. Um, I thought the the methodology and how the Enterprise was attacked was genius. It's something I'd never seen in any sci-fi movie, you know, swarming in and just ramming things until they just are obliterate, you know, their, their enemy. Like they said, we're, we're not equipped to, um, to fight, uh, uh, you know, ships of this kind or the enemy of this kind. It was, it was one of the more helpless situations, I think, uh, watching a movie, you know, where it's just like, there's, there's gotta be a way to defeat them. 
uh, and the way they came up with the, the the method to do it, I thought was was somewhat clever, um, somewhat simple, but somewhat clever. But I I thought Krull himself, uh, Idris Elba, I mean, uh, he he played a great villain. And and what I liked is towards the end, where he could have seen the light as he was starting to kind of um, transform back to his his original form. He didn't. He remained bad right <laughs> up until the end, and I guess there was some talk of, of, of maybe swinging that the other way and all of that stuff, and him actually helping Kirk. But he went the other way. So he was, you know, he he was a lost soul. Um, felt he was deserted. Um, you know, I, I I can't always say I'm a, I'm a big fan of of you know um, you know the the way they kind of portray soldiers. You know, the war is over, but you can't recover that type of stuff. Mm. But. Um, you know, and, and now he wants to destroy the Federation. It was a little bit bonk bonk on the head a little bit with, uh, you know, it's especially with these political times. But I, I I thought he played a very good villain. It was a very, very intense movie. I thought it was very intense. And, and he, he brought it to life. Yeah, with Krull, I didn't I didn't expect what we got from his character either. So I think I was I wasn't sitting there waiting like okay, is it going to be a you like it with Khan like oh, okay, is it going to be Khan, right? None of that. You're engaged in the story. It's a pretty effective twist. There's some there's some, you know, they build up to it effectively throughout the film. And with Idris Elba, I thought, "Man, you cast Idris Elba and then you like turn him into a lizard." <laughs> you know, I think like, yeah. I want to see Idris Elba. So then at the end, I'm like, "Oh, cool. You actually do get to see Idris Elba, you know." And so that was that was cool for me i i enjoyed that that fact that he's he's becoming more human and to your point uh i i enjoyed the the not redemption of the character because that's such a really cliche oh the last minute the villain's gonna help the hero and sacrifice himself and everything's gonna be fine and those are good stories a lot but i feel like it's a trope that's done way too often and i i was it was refreshing to see the villain just stay a villain for once <laughs> You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, not. I mean, it seems all these Star Trek villains, at least the ones we're talking about, are, are villains to the end. Well, with him, yeah, he just he, he stayed the course, and that is that is a trope of like the the military guy who comes back, and that seems to be. I guess it's it's easy in Star Trek in that storytelling universe because Star Trek is a is a military organization, a, a humanitarian and a peacekeeping armada. And there it is. I, I worked it in. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> my favorite line, but. Mm-hmm. you're looking for, you know, conflict, and you're like, okay, well, let, what do we have a, an officer that goes, like a, a like a badmiral or a captain who goes rogue? Let's do things like that. And I, I guess that's why they keep going back to that, because it's a, you know, it's it's a very, you can you can easily explain that in the context of a Star Trek environment. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, like I said, it picks up, you know, right after the Romulan War, and mm. You know, and it's which is part of canon, so that that there's connectivity there. And he said Zindi, so it canonizes Enterprise. So, <laughs> and you know, it pulls it pulls you back into yeah to to the Enterprise series. Which you know, the one thing this movie did is it it paid homage to its um, its heritage. Um, you know, as as certain hosts out there kind of forget, heritage is important when it comes to these things. Um, but you know, for me, I think that that I, that's one of the things I liked about the movie. It was believable in the sense they felt abandoned, so forth, you know. Uh, but you know, even you know, when when wars end and and missions change, the part I always kind of struggle with is, you know, yeah, you're you're a warrior or a soldier, but you're you're still the captain of a ship. Mm. Um, there's still threats out there, and yes, you're you're turning your um, your primary mission away from fighting to exploration. 
uh, but you still have a duty. And and that's where I kind of, you know, I, I kind of got lost in that. It, it, they they kind of felt in the movie they were trying to sell us that they, they were abandoned or whatnot. And I was like, were they? I, I mean, he was given a ship. <laughs> he, was, he was out there doing his thing. Bad things happened. Um, you know, and maybe it was just too soon after the war uh, when, when their ship crashed or whatnot. And, you know, it just, it just made things worse. It, it was, it was, it was an interesting, you know, thing to kind of pull together. Uh, you know, of course, you know, we're, we're still in the middle of this war on terror. Um, it's not in the news like it was. And even when this movie was made, it was still there, but maybe not as big, but I, it, there's, there's, there are a lot of news stories out there about PTSD and the trauma and people having a, lot, a very, very difficult time adapting. Um, but usually they're more of a threat to themselves um, than to other people. And um, it's it, it's just an interesting dynamic. But they, again, he was a ruthless, ruthless villain. And, um, you know, especially when he when they were killing the crew members and just sucking the life force out of them. It was yeah. it was damn, it was it was powerful stuff. Yeah. And, you know, a brilliant tactician, too. You can see how he disabled the Enterprise, it cut off the neck, you know, that kinds of things. So. Uh, and as for, uh, as for any expanded backstory of him, I actually, to jump back to Khan, there is an IDW comic book that ties into Star Trek Khan. It's about the the trial of, of, of Khan after the events of Into Darkness, uh, in between when they put him back in the cryo tube. And, uh, it's him recounting his backstory and, and how he went from looking like Ricardo Montalban to Benedict Cumberbatch. So they actually incorporated that into that story. So if you want to know about Rat Khan, check that out. It's It's a, it's a fun Kind of side story again. It just has no bearing on you know the film uh, one way or the other. Uh, but if you enjoy it and want more content from that, great. There is no such tie-in to my knowledge for Captain Edison. Uh, I think that would be that's ripe for a novel or a comic or some kind of expansion. But you know, Star Trek Beyond doesn't have a lot of tie-in material. There's not even a novelization for Star Trek Beyond that's been released, unfortunately. So uh, part yeah. part of the part of the times, the signs of the times as far as Star Trek and commercialization and merchandising goes, unfortunately. Uh, but th- this is actually of all three of these guys, this is the one that I would actually be most interested to read. You know, some interpretation of either be it in comic book or in a novel or hey, maybe a short trek. Now that CBS and Paramount have merged again, Ken, right, or are about to. There you go. Yeah, it, it would be interesting to see. I, I'd love to see this movie kind of get a um, a relaunch, so to speak. Um, you know, Paramount really screwed this up. <laughs> they really did. It's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. They didn't hype it. Um, you know, Star Trek fandom, I remember when um, the Star Wars movie came out and they showed the scenes and sabotage music playing. And then, you know, sabotage. everybody just assumed, yeah, everybody just assumed it was going to suck. Um, because and, yeah, you know, because I mean, the from the director of Fast and the Furious, which yeah, Justin yeah. Lin did a great job with this. He is a Star Trek fan, and it showed. But if you're going into it like the guy from Fast and the Furious, and then you get a trailer with like more Beastie Boys music with Kirk on a motorcycle, you're like, yep, I pretty much know what this is gonna be. And those assumptions were wrong. I think we were proven wrong. But to your point, they 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 didn't exactly set this up for success either, did they? They didn't, and then they launched it. You know, in the middle of July, there were a lot of other movies out there. They didn't give it its own. You know, it, it might have had a weekend, um, but if they had launched this on the fiftieth anniversary with a lot of fanfare, you know, and I know they they premiered it at San Diego Comic Con. You could watch it for free out there. A lot of people did, and they had a great time. Um, we, a lot of our friends were out there. My son saw it that way, which I think is pretty cool. But you know, it's just. Paramount really could have done something a lot bigger with this. And 
you know, being at Star Trek um, uh, Las Vegas, too, uh, this was just something they didn't even talk about it. I Sorry, mean, we, they, we were there the yeah, same they summer. Just this talk was about out. it. It was, it was in the movie theater in the in the hotel I was staying at, yeah. but they they had none of the actors there, nothing. And and I just was like, my god. And and then it's 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 a great Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal Star and, Trek movie. And I think and I think that the the character they use they use Captain Edison here as mm-hmm. like an example, like to to tell a Star Trek message. You know, Kirk Kirk at the end, the confrontation between the two of them, it says something. You know. Unlike the confrontations at the end of Into Darkness, when it's just Khan beating up Spock and Uhura having to save him, and then them just letting Nero get sucked into a black hole, you know, the 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 confrontation, the action is speaking to the greater narrative of you know moving forward and you know that, those sorts of things, the, the themes of Star Trek, the themes of this movie, and you know belief in you know community and friendship and family over you know. Uh, division and conflict you know which is what his character was representing so the the yeah. ideal the ideological clash at the end uh complemented the uh, action uh, at the end so, and and to me that's why you know it's it's the most powerful one of the three yeah i agree so um you know maybe with uh, a little help from cbs marketing the next time they do a movie <laughs> they'll think it through a little bit better because it's it really was you know 50th anniversary He's, that's that's a huge event, and um, and they blew it. They right. absolutely blew well, it. And, and Idris Elba, a big name, you know, people always want him to play James Bond. You know, he's in yeah. Marvel. He's in all sorts of. He's a, he's a well known actor. I mean, I, if people are into movies and TV, everybody knows who Idris Elba is, and everybody everybody loves him. Everybody enjoys him as an actor. Very versatile, you know. Yep. So I mean, they the, the to their credit, they got a list actors to play all these villains in the Kelvin timeline. So they didn't cheap out there. They didn't cheap out at all. The effects were brilliant. The storyline was brilliant. Um, Yorktown Station was unbelievable. They they did a lot of things right in this movie. I want to say there's no such thing as the perfect film, and I know there was some here and there things, but I mean, come on. And their their tribute to um, Leonard Nimoy, unbelievable. I mean, uh, Spock and the, the way they handled that after after Nimoy passed and everything. It was it was really well done. Um, Great movie, in my opinion, and I think a lot of its success had to be the execution uh, that they took with Krull and, and Captain Edison. All right, Ken, well, it's time. Because as Star Trek fans, what do we love to do? We love to rank things. Because what's the point of watching and enjoying something unless you quantify it with some kind of number and ranking? <laughs> First to last, you know, that's what we love to do as fans, especially Star Trek fans. So if you had to rank these three villains from the Kelvin timeline movies, the JJ verse. How would you rank them? Okay. I would rank them as follows. Krull slash Captain Edison would be my favorite villain of the three, followed by Nero, followed by John Harrison slash Khan in that order. And you, sir. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I would rank them the same way. Uh, Captain Edison being first. Uh, crawl and just at, for all the reasons we said he's just a very layered character there's a lot going on there he actually has some monologues and things to say that make sense and of course the ideological thing at the end with him and kirk so he's my number one uh nero served his function very well brought some uh quote-unquote humanity to uh, a fairly one-dimensional character uh and both tragedy anger and comedy and the, some of his comedic line readings things of that nature and then finally yeah uh John Harrison, sorry, but you're last. 
uh, if he wasn't Khan, right? I know we say that every time I bring it up, but there there, there was more potential there. But they got, I I think it 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 what what says it best is uh, Alex Kurtzman and Bob Orsi when they were writing the film. They said they went back and forth several times on if he should even be Khan or not. <laughs> it's like, well, I think you know that shows in the movie because you could go back and forth, and and when you when you're kind of in between like that, you got you just got to pick a direction and run with it, and they're trying to straddle it, and unfortunately that hurt the character so either go full con or go no con right but that that hurt the character and that's why he's last despite benedict cumberbatch's performance so we are in alignment in our rankings of these villains again dun 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 how about that all right there we go so i can't wait to see who the villain is in the next kelvin timeline movie what about you <laughs> i think the villain's paramount right now <laughs> very good very good yeah, it's funny like if you had to pick if you had to pick a villain of some kind i would pick a klingon and uh, i think Idris Elba would have played a great klingon by the way uh but i don't really have an actor in mind but i would like the next movie right if they if there is indeed a star trek 4 that takes place in the kelvin timeline with these characters and these cast i would like to see some klingons because the Klingons seem to be the new Romulans. Like, they're always around, but we never really see them you know, up front, and they're in deleted scenes and things. So if I had to, you know, I don't have an actor or even a character really in mind, but a, a Klingon kind of made the equivalent to Kirk, you know, a, a captain that he can go back and forth with and, and of course, get in a fight with at the end. So, like, basically, Star Trek Three is what I, <laughs> what I want. <laughs> oh, there it is. Okay. Well, you just should have said so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm obviously, we, we all want good good storytelling and there's a lot of ways you could go in star trek the enemy could be you know an event it could be uh, a catastrophe uh, you know an ecological event whatever it is uh but it, yeah it's um it's it, it i i don't really have a preference i just i just really want it made and i've never really heard the outline as to what they were planning for star trek for and you know chris pine and and um, Thor Hemsworth. coming back together. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's like, okay. I mean, I, I was very interested to hear how this came about. But I'm pretty sure if you get a Tarantino, Tarantino movie, that it'll be one badass Klingon. That's my guess. Samuel Jackson as a Klingon. Oh, I'd pay for that. <laughs> I'd pay for that. Especially with the colorful metaphors. Oh, yeah, it'd be hilarious. There you go. There it is. And he, he can just say it in Klingon so he can get away with all that language. So perfect. Yes, yes. Patoks everywhere. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, there you have it, guys. So, yeah, it was fun talking about the villains of the JJ-verse. Nice to get back to the Kelvin timeline. As you know, we mentioned, we, we've kind of not talked about the quote-unquote new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise as much anymore, but it is funny to think they're, they've been around for 10 years now, so they're not so new. Nope. But ranking these villains isn't the only thing we've been doing on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm. To the journey! <laughs> in the seven That's all I could think about with that this one. Is, this is the Seinfeld in Space episode. I keep waiting for Elaine to show up. I'm trying to think of what Jerry Seinfeld would say in Jerry Seinfeld's tone of voice inside this episode. Can you do, can you, can you do a good Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, good grief, no. Not even close. I'm trying to think how I would approach doing a Jerry Seinfeld impersonation. It's not coming to me. <laughs> He's got that super high-pitched da-da-da-da-da kind of, I don't know, kind yeah. of voice. Well, that you did really well, the da-da-da-da-da. So, yeah, there you go. Why don't they just warp out of here? <laughs> Earl Grey. 
time travel and alternate no. timelines. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Unacceptable selection. Please try Unacceptable again. Unacceptable selection. Does this fit no, your I'm original serious. definition of how you define a villain? No. Justin. <laughs> Possibly not. Okay, but then, but continue. Let me, okay. Literary treks. The Antares Maelstrom is mentioned by Khan in The Wrath of Khan. He's got his whole big monologue when he's vowing vengeance on James T. Kirk, you know. I'll chase him around the Antares Maelstrom and the runes of Nivea, you know. And runes. So what is the Antares Maelstrom? To my surprise, oh, no one had ever actually written a book or a comic book about the Antares Maelstrom, which Khan famously name checks. Standard Orbit. <laughs> He even has another line like, you're a doctor. Like, he tells his doctor. I'm like, that is so original series. Oh, I love it. Like, like if you, I'm telling you guys, like, uh-huh. if you have not seen this episode, you will see Star Trek all over it. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, you can get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MB3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look at the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at TrekFM.com and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, Dan Rhodes, and Mike Richards. Your contributions, your help, your support, they mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me... You can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On To Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville, with one S. I'm also the co-host of Franchise Fatigue, a podcast where we look at sequels, remakes, movie franchises, and when a franchise gets fatigued. You can find us on Twitter at UFP Earth, part of the United Federation of Podcasts. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.